Welcome to the Meetings Today podcast. I'm Danielle Labreck. Today, I am checking in on the meetings, events, and incentives industry in Australia. For those of you actively planning future incentive trips, be sure to check out the recently released second issue of Australia Next, which is a magazine for North American-based incentive planners published by Business Events Australia. In it, you can bookmark ideas for destinations, properties, activities, and more for future incentive trips. Here to help us understand the current status of incentives and meetings in Australia around COVID-19, the trends happening on the ground, and which Australian destinations we can expect to be hearing more about in 2021 is Mary Ann McDonald. Mary Ann is the Business Events Manager for the Americas for Tourism Australia and works with North American-based planners as they organize meetings and incentives in Australia. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Mary Ann. Oh, thanks for the opportunity, Danielle. It's great to catch up with you. So first off, how is the current COVID-19 situation in Australia and have business events and meetings restarted there? Well, the COVID situation, COVID-19 situation in Australia right now is, is looking positive. Um, right now is time of recording. There are um, less than 100 active cases in the whole country. So it's, COVID has been managed extraordinarily well in Australia, which is great. And yes, uh, business events and meetings have restarted there. Uh, Australia's businesses are reopening and, and meetings are restarting in most parts of the country. So Melbourne's restrictions are easing and Sydney can host business events for up to 300. Perth, which you visited, has been hosting 900 guests and the Brisbane Convention and Exhibition Center just hosted a, a very large event for 1,800 people uh, in October. It was the AFL Grand Final, which is normally held down south. So it's a huge sporting event. So that's all very positive. To help you with that, to help planners with that who are looking at Australia for future events, Business Events Australia's website, we have a, a dedicated page on our website called COVID Information for Business Events. It's to be updated regularly. And that page includes all of the links and the information in terms of venue capacities, the states uh, reopening the borders and all that sort of stuff between uh, within the country. So that will give you the tools and the information that you need if, if you are proposing events for the future so that you can confidently talk to your clients about, you know, sending a group to Australia in the future. Mm -hmm. And so there is some activity restarting, it sounds like. What sort of events are you seeing move forward there? Are they smaller, more regional? Um, that seems to be the theme in other places around the world where we are seeing some activity. Well, in terms of the ones I just mentioned, a few, you know, that were that in terms of the, the numbers and, and things within some of the big cities. Um, States, what's happening in states where there have been consistently low or, or no case numbers, um, they've not had locally acquired cases in over two months. So they're having larger events and um, some states, you know, don't have any cap on numbers. So um, what we found though too is that regionally, um, regional destinations are, are benefiting from this as well. So um, yeah, it kind of sort of depends and some of them are, are smaller, but you know, some of them are actually quite large. Mm -hmm. And would you say the majority of these, are they corporate events, incentives? Is there any sort of theme there? In terms of some, we've done some research amongst the 
the domestic corporate decision makers around their attitudes towards start restarting events, and, and the results are really encouraging. So for businesses that are planning events in Australia in the next 6 to 12 and 12 to 24 months, both of those, um, the, the percentages are both up from when we did the research in August. Mm -hmm. So because of the, the way the situation's been handled and the, um, you know, the numbers are, are way down, so they, they feel confident that they can book events in mm -hmm. Australia. So because of how this pandemic has been going and how the virus travels through the air, I know at meetings today through some of our reporting, we've seen an uptick in interest in outdoor meeting and events. Um, there's ample room to spread out if needed, and there's a higher comfort level with being out in the fresh air. Um, Australia, I know, has no shortage of great outdoor spaces, and I think this is going to be a trend that we'll see for a while, even after the pandemic is over. So I'm wondering if you can highlight some of your favorite outdoor spaces for our North American-based listeners that they should keep in mind and research as they plan future events and incentive trips in Australia. Oh, Danielle, that's like asking me my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you know, Australia has a really good climate for outdoor events, and, and many parts of the country are warm enough to host outdoor events all year round. Australia is a, a much, is a very temperate country. Um, the, you know, the center is mostly desert, and the, the coasts are, you know, are, are much more temperate. It's not like we have the snowy seasons like we do here in North America, where a lot of the country is blanketed in thick snow for most of the winter. So you can feel um, confident to book outdoor events most of the year in most parts of the country. So some of the, some of the um, ones that you can, that you can choose, uh, Dinner Under the Stars at Uluru, that's, that's formerly called Ayers Rock. It's the large red dome rock that you see on many images. That's spectacular. It's in the middle of the desert and basically in the center of the country. And there are a couple of options that you can, that you can take there. There's um, Sounds of Silence Dinner, which is a large, a large scale event. And you can also go to the, um, take a, a self-guided tour through Field of Light, if you'd like to in that in that area, and there's also uh, Taliwiru, which is a much more a much more intimate event, and it's a fantastic degustation dinner, still within view of also within view of Uluru, and based on a sand dune. So that's that's a great outdoor. Both of those are great outdoor uh, venues. There's on the Gold Coast, which is in Queensland on the east coast of Australia. Uh, there's the home of the arts. There's a new outdoor stage there, which is fantastic. Um, and then in Melbourne, which is, Melbourne's a, a, a large sporting capital, uh, amongst other things, in Australia. And as Melbourne hosts the Australian Open, which is the first Grand Slam of the um, international tennis circuit. Um, and so that's held every year. And you can actually book dinners on the court and you can have the roof open, which effectively makes it an outdoor venue, if you like. And another one, which you would be familiar with, is at Taronga Zoo in Sydney. Mm -hmm. That Taronga Zoo overlooks Sydney Harbour, as you know. And there's a new uh, venue there called the Gilly Rooftop. And it's got incredible views of Sydney Harbour um, and the bridge and the opera house and everything. So all of those are, you know, those are, that's a, you know, a few that are there um, within you know, that are, that are out, beautiful outdoor venues and uh, that people should actually look into. Absolutely. And another uh, meeting trend to kind of go along with this um, is that a lot of experts are seeing increased interest in second tier destinations. These are smaller cities that 
aren't as densely populated, but they're still easy to travel to, have a lot to offer in terms of unique venues, food and culture. They're a bit more budget friendly. I'm wondering if this is true in Australia. I know that we're seeing this in the States. And if this is true, what sort of destinations outside of the major capital cities do you think North American planners should look into? Well, first of all, Australian, Australia's major capital cities are great places to start in Australian incentive, as you know. Um, there's so much to see and do in the big cities, Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, the, the three key gateways on the east coast of Australia. Um, and then they also have regional destinations within striking distance of them. Um, wine growing regions, you know, outside Sydney, there's the Hunter Valley, Melbourne, there's the Yarra Valley, Adelaide is another city, there's the Barossa, and then Perth on the west coast has Margaret River. So there are regional destinations within those. And then a second destination, adding a second destination outside of Australia's capital cities um, or in a smaller state capital really gives a flavor of, you know, Australia's incredible diversity as a destination. So with incentives, um, if for a five to six night incentive, we recommend say, you know, a city and, um, and then another destination, either two cities or Sydney and an, another, uh, an iconic destination like Sydney, and then, you know, possibly a reef destination, either the uh, Whitsundays um, on the Great Barrier Reef, halfway up the Queensland coast, or Cairns and Port Douglas, which is a reef and rainforest, um, uh, reef and rainforest destination farther up uh, and, and more tropical uh, in the Great Barrier Reef. So, you know, to, to, you can do those on a five to six night itinerary. If they're longer, they can also incorporate somewhere like Uluru, which I mentioned before in the center of the country, um, and then other regional destinations. So, um, as I said, the Whitsundays is, it's tropical islands off the Great Barrier Reef, and you can snorkel, island hop, have a champagne brunch at Whitehaven Beach. There are so many ways to enjoy the roof, the, uh, the reef and flying over and you know cruises and that sort of thing. Um, and then in Cairns in the Port Douglas region, that's a reef and rainforest destination. And again, you can enjoy the reef in many different ways and also the rainforest up there. So those are, those are options to, you know, to make sure that you know about. Uluru, as I said, in the red center of Australia, it's a spiritual heart of Australia. You can learn about indigenous culture, through activities like dot painting, bush tucker tastings and tours of Uluru. Um, you can attend the dinners that I mentioned previously, um, Sounds of Silence or Taliwiru. Um, you know, and so there are lots of options out there to really learn about the Aboriginal culture. Another place is Tasmania. It's Australia's southernmost um, island state. It's an island. Uh, it's a little island off the, off the southernmost coast of Australia. Um, and it's made up of incredible landscapes. It's just beautiful. Almost a fifth of the state is World Heritage, Heritage listed. And it's also Hobart, the uh, capital city of Tassie, is, uh, re has renowned distilleries and wineries. So again, <laughs> something <laughs> to check out there. Um, it's also home to a, a cultural icon that is called Mona. That's the Museum of Old and New Art. And they have, it's an unconventional, mostly subterranean museum, and it's constantly reinventing itself. So I really encourage people to check it out. It's an absolutely amazing experience. And, and during COVID, they offered um, a new dining experience at one of their restaurants called Pharaoh Experiments and opened up parts of the closed museum to private groups. So lots to explore down in Tassie as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, each each area in Australia, whether you're north, south, east, or west, or central, it, there is something 
new and exciting to explore a lot of bucket list items, especially I think for North American based uh, attendees coming for an incentive trip. And to add to that, maybe you can just talk a little bit more about the ease of getting to some of these places. You know, there's a lot of direct flights now from the US to the big cities like Sydney and Melbourne. And the Great Barrier Reef is really not that far away, correct? No, that's right. The The domestic airline uh, network within Australia is extraordinarily good. It's a large country, so you, you do have to fly places. There, because of that, because of the distances of the country, um, the domestic network is very good. So yeah, you fly into a gateway city from the US and it's a, remember too, it's an overnight flight usually um, from LA to to the east coast of Australia is anywhere between 13 and, and 14 or 15 hours, depending on headwinds and which, which actual um, city you go into. So it's quite an easy flight. I did it for 30 years. So, it's, <laughs> you know, you, can, you get over there and you get there and then to get to, you know, regional destinations, whether it's the reef or out to Uluru or out to another capital city or regional destination is very easy. The network's mm -hmm. very good in Australia. Yeah. And when, you know, international travel is possible again and flights are at full capacity, that connectivity, like you said, is really accessible and really easy in Australia. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that is all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Marianne, for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. It's always <laughs> a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. And thank you so much. It's great to chat, Danielle. Yeah. And if any of you listening want to learn more, you can reach out to Mary Ann directly. We will put her contact information on our website. Um, and also, if you want to keep diving into more content and learning more about the possibilities for incentives in Australia, definitely check out that Australia Next magazine. We will include that link on our website as well at meetingstoday.com. And finally, if you liked this episode, you can tune in to more Meetings Today podcasts by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thank you all so much for listening.